Young version coming out later in the year. I think it's uh, Michael Fassbender that's playing Rochester. Uh, he seems to be getting yeah. a lot of good stuff at the minute. Yeah, get some good. Uh, excellent. So uh, this is the first Scotswayhe podcast. Welcome. Um, I'm with a good friend Chris Ward, and we are going to chat today about the best stuff of the last twelve months. Um, we can start with film. Uh, what was your favourite? Scottish films of the last favourite Scottish one. well this is the thing I feel like we don't really have that wide a pool to choose from so I kind of mm. feel like my answers are going to be almost by default uh, same as mine <laughs> same as mine well yeah uh, mostly I think the, the kind of the big elephant in the room well actually I'll get to the elephant in the room because it's the obvious one because I can see it right at the top of your page <laughs> um, so uh, as, uh, we'll get to that we can use that as a bridge between our own favourite films of the years but one more kind of off, uh, off the beaten track or one that you could maybe nebulously Scottish I suppose I'm not even sure I think it was within the past year it was definitely 2010 I'm not sure if it was within the past Mm -hmm. 12 months specifically but uh, Valhalla Rising which was uh, Nicholas Winding Riffin I think I'm pronouncing the name right the guy who directed I think his last film before that was uh, Bronson with Tom Hardy Okay, and he made uh, Pusher with Mads Mikkelsen who was the bad guy in Casino Royale and he's been a couple other things since and he's the star of Valhalla Rising as well he's a a mute kind of warrior in um medieval times in medieval Scotland it's set in Scotland and it right. starts in Scotland okay. and uh, he's a Viking warrior like we're led to believe he's that he's mute so you don't know um, you know where he's from you don't know his language you don't know where he's from you don't know anything about him but he's been captured by um, a kind of Scottish clan leader if you like right. and, and kind of it's the dark ages you know it's, so you're talking like I can't even remember the year that it's set but you know it's around about it's Viking times anyway they're still Vikings in Scotland and um, he's been captured by a clan leader and uh, it's split into chapters and the first one is him violently escaping from the clan and you know there's decapitations and stuff Excellent. but um, he's he picks up a, a kind of like a young boy who travels along with him becomes like almost like his kind of page but uh, they fall in with a band of uh, Christian pilgrims who are looking uh, for a route to the Holy Land and uh, they end up getting severely lost and end up in America instead Wow, that um, sounds uh, fantastic. It's, actually, it's a really strange film. It's not an action film. It's like quite heavily allegorical, and um, there's a really surreal like the, their voyage to what they think is the Holy Land is really surreal. They, they're basically stuck on this boat for weeks on end, and heavy mist descends, and they, they think like that it's the gods conspiring against them, and they think when they get to America, and it's clearly not the Holy Land because there's lots of trees and it's quite lush, and there's Native Americans there. But, um, <laughs> that it's uh, hell that they've landed in hell oh, okay. and um, it becomes quite heavily aragorical but there's there's some uh, yeah there's really interesting stuff in it Gary Lewis turns up in it and uh, a few other kind of notable Scottish actors but Mads Mikkelsen's terrific and it, it looks amazing it's one of these films that's just it, it's not it, it's kind of a Scottish film because it's set in Scotland but it doesn't make a big deal of its Scottishness yeah. which is my favourite kind of Scottish yeah, film sure. it's just it's the kind of film that could be made anywhere in yeah. the world and any Scottishness is kind of incidental and not they don't make a big deal out of it yeah. and Matt Spickerson's um, been in it I mean he was in Aberdeen and he was in Wilbur uh, wants to kill himself yeah of course yeah. Uh, the sardonic doctor in that absolutely but, uh, yeah. yeah no very physical performance in this one because obviously he's not well he's mute so he's not allowed to speak but uh yeah very it's almost kind of like I would say it's not you, you hear the kind of plot description you think it's maybe going to be a bit like Centurion the Neil Marshall that's film. what I was going to yeah, say yeah. was it was um, it around at the time I think it was around but it was one of these ones where you know you get like Volcano and Danny's Peak and A Bug's Life and Ants and yeah. Deep Impact and Armageddon you know it's like two ideas happen at once but uh, could not be more different it's more kind of like 
it's not a direct influence but I would be surprised if he didn't have like a uh, Jodorowsky in mind you know like the Holy Mountain and El yeah. Topo and stuff like this it's very hallucinogenic uh, I think it would be uh, it would be very successful amongst a certain group of substance favourers <laughs> um, is, is the way I and it just died exhausted it yeah no I, I, don't, I don't remember I mean it got a very limited release and I think it's I think I mean people who liked it really liked it and really mm. advocated it in a big way I think I saw it on a couple of year end top 10 lists last year but uh, it's a really oh, strange show I can't, I can't like I can't say that I loved it but I'm definitely glad that I've seen it and uh, I'm glad that it exists and that it's something a bit different my controversial, I suppose, choice, is it Scottish, is it not, would be, uh, is it good, is it not, is it The Illusionist? Oh, yeah, I, I never actually saw The Illusionist, and I never got around it, but I, was, I really wanted to, I love Belleville Rendezvous. Yeah, I think a lot of people who love Belleville Rendezvous, were slightly, they seem to be disappointed by it, but I thought yeah. it was quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, again, it's, I mean, it's obviously tatty, it's almost completely silent. But uh, the, the animation, especially the, the, the settings on the islands and, and, and in Edinburgh, are just uh, are fantastic. Um, I think you know most people all, all know what it, what it is. It's a kind of love letter from uh, Jacques Tati to his daughter to say apologise um, for not being there when she was growing up, and the the final scenes in it are absolutely heartbreaking uh, in the best possible way. Um, but since you haven't seen it. Yeah. Hey, let's go on to something no that you have let's yes. talk about the Neds yes the elephant in the room uh, I think Neds is half a great film okay uh, I, I really like Peter Mullen I, both as a director as an actor I, I think as a person as well he seems like a really sound guy I always like really enjoy hearing what he has to say in interviews uh, he seems like he's uh, ethically sound and stuff like this and politically <laughs> sound Uh uh, I, I enjoy it. I, I feel like a huge butt yeah, coming yeah. And I, I, really, butt. I really did like uh, the Magdalene Sisters. I've liked the right word for the Magdalene Sisters. I, I very much appreciated the Magdalene Sisters. Yeah. thought it was a fine piece of work. Same with Orphans. Yeah, Orphans are tremendous. Yeah. But <laughs> Ned, whilst it's clearly very close to his heart and it's like there's elements of all biography and stuff in it, I think he maybe, uh, I don't want to say bit off more than he can chew, but he definitely tried pulling off things that even more talented filmmakers than he would have struggled to make work uh, it's interesting in uh, as, like what? Uh, I think specifically the Jesus hallucination is the, the, the this is the one isn't it that's the, the, the one that there's no getting around where Jesus yeah. comes off the cross and stabs him or yeah. He, yeah, he stabs him doesn't he or they, yeah he does he stabs yeah, him, yeah. absolutely um, um, and now my thought on that is I can see why he did it it was he's lost his faith no, I beg your pardon. He lost his family. He'd thrown it at school, which meant the world to him when he was younger. Yeah. He gang, this gang has kicked him out because he's just too nuts. And the final thing to go is the faith. And even, you know, Jesus yeah. gives him a kicking. Okay, it's absolutely yeah. there in black and white. But I didn't hate it. And, you know, now some people I know really find a problem with it. I think it, my, my main problem with it is that it veered too far over into kitsch especially with it still had the disco soundtrack going and just the way it was filmed with the kind of the, the loping cameras and stuff you know as if it was kind of drunken or whatever and the you think there's was too many things too much going on at once yeah. yeah I think it needed a bit more control I, I, my, I don't have a problem with the conceit yeah. of Jesus coming down off the cross and yeah. getting him a beating 
but the way it was handled and just I think as I say I think it was half a great film like I thought the stuff with Mullen himself as the dad was yeah, devastating I absolutely devastating the rest yeah of and uh, all the kind of the early stuff was really touching and really directly emotionally beautiful you know, film yeah really beautifully filmed and again a film that like could have been made anywhere you know you could stand at in an art house cinema and it wouldn't matter that it came from Scotland you know it could no, stand exactly. up there with like the best bits of Neds could stand up with anything from anywhere else in the world but there were other bits I, I felt like the descent into Neddom if you want to call it that was yeah. far too quickly handled like just you know if one second he's a nice guy and the next second he's throwing stones through windows going you want a Ned I'll give you a Ned like that I couldn't believe that was an actual line from the film you yeah. want a Ned I'll give you a Ned okay. it, it felt a bit Oh, it was just the, the melodrama I understand I that but then yeah. thinking back to school I mean there was no doubt that some people left school in the end at the beginning of summer I came yeah. back completely different creatures because of the influences that happened yeah. on them in that summer oh absolutely I don't I'm not uh, taking issue with that I just think there was a really jarring transition within the film itself I don't even mean within the period of time it covered I just mm. feel that it was like from one scene to the next yeah like there was it didn't feel like there was enough of a kind of slide and slope between the kind of pettier stuff that we'd seen him do before to when yeah. he's suddenly smashing windows and running about with knives I agree his kind of descent into madness which is what it becomes yeah. when he's strapping knives to his hands and, and the, just the level of it yeah uh, it, I mean it's disturbing and it's supposed to be disturbing but yeah maybe it's not believable I, think, I, I loved it as a film I yeah. think it's a tremendous film and I think again it doesn't matter it's not a, hey look at me I'm a Scottish film it's yeah. a Scottish filmmaker making that is, like yeah. you that's that's when the films work yeah I think I don't know I suppose my main problem with it is that uh, it was the same problem I kind of have with a lot of Ken Loach stuff is that it's not content just to let his characters be uh, it kind of felt I had to throw all these kind of conflicts at them for them to deal with like, yeah. the same with like the first tests almost isn't it yeah, yeah it's like the first two thirds of my name is Joe is fantastic and then all they have to resolve all the gangster stuff and it, all the melodrama kind of gets out of control and I kind of felt the same way with Ned and I, I don't know if we want to talk about the end or stuff if it's spoilers or whatever if we're getting into that but I will say that uh, the ending I, I, I just felt like Peter Mullen might have come out with a big sign saying this is symbolism uh, yes I know symbolism I know. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah no that's that's the other thing that's contention and maybe we shouldn't yeah. give it away but I'll say I didn't hate it like some yeah. people did I, uh, I I think I'd maybe heard it was coming yeah um, and yes of course it's, it is ridiculously symbolic yeah. but sometimes ridiculous symbolism works it's not a subtle yeah. film it's in not, any way it's no. never a subtle film even when it's trying to be a subtle film no. it doesn't really work um, but as a, as a as a film which I sat there I mean again is enjoy the right word I'm not sure it yeah. is when something's so violent and, but certainly I think Mullen is a Perhaps our most interesting filmmaker, Scotland's most interesting. Yeah, filmmaker. I, I, I could get behind that. Again, I think uh, just where he's coming from with his films and his kind of ethos behind them and uh, his commitment, like finding, seeking out new talent and stuff like that. Yeah, and just the kind of the kind of principles behind his filmmaking. You know, uh, I can fully get behind that, and I fully believe that he has at least one masterpiece in him. Yeah, but I'm just. Ned's wasn't it it was yeah. almost it but uh, with a bit more control with maybe a, a second draft another draft of the screenplay with I don't know just something just one more pass at it Ned's could have been it but it didn't quite get there for me I think could do better could do better <laughs> yeah um, but A for effort and also effort. I think he's, he, he's still the Scottish actor who I am most pleased about when he turns up on screen absolutely yeah you know he, he can, uh, there's a lot of people him. who are bigger stars if you like who you know I'm yeah. just nowhere near the talent that he has yeah even smaller parts like I'm thinking uh, his brief appearance in Children of Men 
Mm. He comes out in that as the kind of psychotic guard who refers to himself in the third person. Even if it's a terrible film, I'm always glad to see when Peter Mullen turns up. Absolutely. So uh, let's move on. now, I've read a lot of books in the last year, and you were saying you haven't read a lot of books. I haven't read a lot of Scottish books in the uh-huh. last year because I'd uh, been a year out from uh, graduating from my master's, so after like six straight years of reading Scottish books for uni, I've kind of taken a Scottish book break over the past uh, year so or so where I haven't read therapy. a lot. Of, yeah, exactly, something like that. So I haven't read a lot of new Scottish fiction. I've read, uh, well, it's not even fiction. I think the only kind of actually new, like wholly new Scottish book that I read this year was uh, Stuart Murdoch's Tour Diary uh, The okay. Celestial Cafe well, tell us about, about that because I've got it and I haven't yeah. read it it's, it's good it's pretty much exactly what you'd expect from a, a Stuart Murdoch kind of semi well not even semi autobiographical book it's very you know charmingly written it's very kind of you know slightly twee and very kind of, it is it's exactly what you'd expect from the public persona that the Stuart Murdoch has built up uh, with that kind of melancholy streak going through it, it is it's, you know it's exactly what you'd expect from the man who writes all of Bell and Sebastian's songs. Yeah, uh, I don't want to get into it too much because I think I want to talk about Bell and Sebastian a bit more later on okay. when, we're, when we're talking about gigs. But uh, no, it's, it's totally charming for what it is. You know, it's, it's not like a great revealing rock autobiography or something. There's no major revelations coming out of it, especially because it's. I think all of his diary, diary entries were up on the Bell and Sebastian website on their blog anyway. As he was writing them, it's just kind of a collection of them, but. Uh, Still very much worth worth the read if you're in Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, you know, obviously. if you're not, you're it's, not yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not going to convert anybody to the Bell and Sebastian cause. But sure. it's, uh, if you're a fan, then yeah, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, other, I'm just trying to think of other stuff. I, my parents for Christmas, my parents never buy me books or music or movies or anything because mm-hmm. they don't trust that they know my taste well enough to okay. be able to do that. So, it's, uh, but they did. They bought me a book this year, and uh, it was. The latest Norman McKay anthology, the, okay. uh, the Many Days, the yes, one that Polygon yes. brought out, uh, and that was off the back of uh, the documentary the Billy Connolly and Alec Bain did. Uh, because I, I don't know if my parents even knew who Norman McKay was, but uh, they heard me getting quite excited about it, just the fact that there was that BBC Scotland was devoting an hour to Norman McKay, uh, and so obviously that must have stuck in their mind, and uh, they picked me. I mean, it's great. Just I mean, I always loved McKay anyway, but just to actually have all of them everything everything in front of place, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean it's not the complete collected works but even just to have it split up like I really thoughtfully put together a package where it's uh, divided by theme you know it's, it's chapters but there is by theme and you know there's kind of loose but it's very loosely connected so it's not rigorous it's not like all the frog poems are in one place all yeah, the yeah. toad poems are in one place <laughs> uh, it's, it's not like that so again but just the breadth of the man's work and it, uh, just this kind of the very in the best way possible the simplicity of what he says and just the directness uh, and again the kind of all-inclusiveness and the humanity of, of his work uh, is just something I, I just find myself going back to again and again I really I really do love my cake but other than that uh, I, I reread for I think it's probably now my most reread book The Prime Miss Jean Brody again at the start of the year which is, which is one that. that just yeah it, it never that. never gets over me it's one of those ones that I just I feel like I take more away from every time I read it, and, uh, which is astounding for a book that's like 128 pages long. You yeah, know? it's very, it's a very economical. Yeah, there's just so much packed into it and so much meaning in it. Again, kind of like the best poems in a way, says so much with so little, you know, mm-hmm. um, and there's so much going on with it. So, but well, yeah, uh, you, have, you have a lot more. I have a long these, so list of books, yeah. so I will, uh, I'll just chat about a few of them. Um, I think this has been a great 12 months for n- new Scottish fiction. And not just in terms of uh, the books themselves, but a lot of the events that have been put on. Um, I mean, I write was a bit disappointing this year, but you had a, 
other events organised by Cargo Publishing and um, perhaps the most interesting publication of all in the last year, I think it was still in the last year, was Cargo's The Year of Open Doors, which brought together two or even more generations of Scottish writers uh, and names as diverse as... Well, I don't, know, actually, I don't know if Rog has a story in it, but he certainly edited it. Rog Glass edited it. Um, but you've got uh, Aidan Moffat, you've got Ryan Van Winkle, and you've got Annalise McIntosh, you've got many, many others. Um, it's Short fiction, is, in my view, is always overlooked. And uh, this is one of the better collections. Um, so I would say that's a good one to check out. And it's just being republished, I think, uh, at the moment or coming out soon so you can check that out Kevin McNeil's A Method's Actor's Guide to Jekyll and Hyde was just fantastic um, I don't know have you read any Kevin McNeil uh, read The Stornoway Way I've heard I've, bits of The Stornoway Way I've never read it start to end I think I've read chapters here and there or just seen excerpts from it but I've never actually sat down and read the thing start to end I, I hear very good things about it uh, he's uh, I mean you know he's a poet as well as being yeah. a, a novelist I've read some of his poems yeah and it comes out in his fiction and it's so every word uh, matters um, Method Actor's Guide it's one of these novels that when you get to the end especially the last section and I won't give anything away again you really have to go back and reread it and re-analyse everything that you thought had happened um, I'm not, I don't know about you, but the, I'm always slightly worried when I see references to Jekyll and Hyde in Scottish yeah. fiction because you think, oh no, it's going to be duality, it's going to yeah. be anti-syzygy, it's going to be all these yes, terrible things. Go, that yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it's not. It's it, it, it had me worried and I had no need to worry. But the, and there's other... Um, Doug Johnson's Smokeheads is a tremendous read. Um, the Life uh, of Math the Dog, Andrew Hagen's one. It's surprisingly, I was really worried That's about that. That's the Marilyn Monroe one. Marilyn Monroe and the, the Talking Dog. And I really yeah. thought it was going to be Disney, but it's... So it took but the it internet isn't. by storm for a single day when it was rumoured that Angelina Jolie was attached to it. Oh, okay. Uh, but she claimed to know nothing about okay. it, so... Um, I, I was surprised again by John Niven's The Second Coming because I had read uh, Kill Your Friends... Yeah. which was good but brutal and violent but this is a much cleverer uh, novel The Second Coming but the novel I'll get to the point <laughs> favourite Scottish novel of not just the last year but perhaps the last ten years was James Robertson's And the Land Lay Still uh, which was an epic novel in every sense it took Scottish politics and history from the end of the Second World War right through to almost the present day just after devolution I think being in the early 2000 and looked at many different stories and managed to interweave them in a way which didn't jar it wasn't episodic uh, it was just beautifully written and that's the one I think if you're going out to get any stick it in your book group that was, I, I would say Anderlandly still good. although it's a hefty it genuinely is a hefty yeah. um, but it's a tremendous uh, uh, novel Excellent. Oh, so let's go on to... Well, we're going to do TV, but I see neither of us watch a lot of TV no. anymore. So I'll just say I did enjoy The Field of Blood, which David Kane directed. Yeah. And David Kane, who did This Year's Love and Born Romantic and Jute City, for those of you who remember TV from years and years ago. And I think he should do more films because he's a tremendous director. And okay. the, the last week's artworks, South to Southwest, did you see okay. that? I didn't see that, no. I've got, I noticed it was up on iPlayer. I'm going to see if it's still up there and yeah. catch it. Um, 
I did see, uh, was it Artworks? That I, just to call back that Norman McKeague documentary, was that an Artworks thing? I can't remember if that was its own thing or if that was I'm part of sure. Artworks. But I very, again, just to reiterate, I really enjoyed that and I thought it was a very amiable hour to spend yeah. uh, in that company. Again, just to, to, to reinforce like, how what, how brilliant Norman McKeague was. But uh, just, uh, again, to be in the company of like Billy Connolly and Ali Bain for an hour as well. I mean, you know... Obviously, opinions split on Billy Connolly. Uh, like lately, I think. Well, yeah, yes, I come on. I, I know, know I that's, that's generally the tack I take with it as well. But uh, it's Billy Connolly for God's exactly, sake. exactly. But you know, you still get people who begrudge him his success or yes. whatever. Uh, but no, it was a perfectly amiable. Hour. I thought it was. I agree with you. I forgot about that. I think you should probably mention because uh, I often stick the boot into Scottish comedy but uh, Burniston and the second series of Lemmy's show were particularly successful yeah. and uh, I think even Gary Tank Commander which I don't watch regularly but yeah. that was a big success and made it down south as well I think yes. that's who took it so I'm not saying that's an that's a judge of how good something is but it's, no. a, it's good that when it makes it I think absolutely yeah um, so let's go away from TV and uh, talk about gigs as you were talking about Bell and oh, Sebastian right. and we were yeah, both at that so we were both on separate nights though yes that's so true. we may have had slightly different experiences of it yeah no they did their uh, three nights in the run up to Christmas at the bars this year it was their first gigs in the city since I believe early 2006 so you're talking nearly five years I think they played off the back of the Life Pursuit when it came out but other than that hadn't hadn't played at all and it was it was brilliant I mean I'd uh, I'd only ever seen them do kind of special shows before you know never as like a proper full band gig I'd seen them do like maybe acoustic shows or one-offs or something mm-hmm. like this you know just yeah. kind of odd bits and pieces here and there and it's one of those bands like if anybody had asked me before then to name one of my favourite bands I don't think Bell and Sebastian would have been near the top of the list but it's only when you're actually confronted with all the songs in a row one yeah, after the other like, and you. as they say and the hits keep coming you know, uh, for me they're, they're, they are the band in terms of some songs and, and even some of their albums they're up there with the Smiths for me I would say that yeah. you know and, then they, 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 and you do forget that I yeah. think because you have an idea that it's also not easy but it's you know gentle and all these things that goes around yeah. it but actually when you hear it in a big venue which you wouldn't think would work in a big venue yeah. that's when it makes sense and you know, they have these become songs, absolutely they have become so tight as a band yeah. as well for some whose beginnings were so kind of shambling and so kind of you know the fear of playing in public and what have you they, they really have come into their own as like as a unit you know not mm-hmm. just as a vehicle for Stuart Murdoch as an actual band in and of themselves and it felt more like Christmas to me this year than Christmas did you know going to that gig it yeah. was just such a kind of nice warm kind of communal feeling like the love obviously that the crowd had for the band but the band were really like clearly having a good time as well and uh, I don't know if this was the case on all three nights I went on the last night so the one closest to Christmas and they started by singing uh, Christmas Time Is Here from the Peanuts Christmas special yeah, uh, the yeah. Australia, yeah, and had like the fake snow coming down and then they took a, they took a break in the middle to collect for charity and did a cover of Santa Claus by the Sonics and uh, yeah, they did, know, yeah, yeah. yeah it was all these kind of little bits and pieces you know that came did together did they have Synthesizer Patel on the night they know? did have Synthesizer <laughs> Patel on the night as well Sanjeev Kohli yeah. uh, came on playing his look around you character um, no, that was Wilco, wasn't it? That wasn't. Was it? Oh, so that it was. was. That was Wilco. That but was. there's somebody who came on. Bobby the barman. Uh, Bobby the barman from Still Game. Uh, yeah. I'm getting my comedy characters yeah, and gigs yeah. mixed up. No, Bobby the barman came on and uh, warned us all to keep the noise down as we were leaving. That's right. Uh, and asked them, could they not get a bit of what was the band? I can't remember the band. That's terrible. But uh, yeah, get somebody else on the jukebox anyway. A bit of Sydney Divine. Or something. A bit of, it was something like that. <laughs> yeah. Or a bit. Of, uh, 
Oh, it was something eighties. It was something early eighties soft rock. I can't remember. Okay, but, but uh, it was funny. Very something like that. I, uh, I just remembered that we are not just talking to each other. And we're saying, yeah. "Oh yes, Ben Sebastian, are right up there with the Smiths." I'm going to have all yeah. these people just, know. Uh, throwing things yeah. at whatever they're listening with. But uh, I, I genuinely, genuinely believe that to be the case. Um, uh, so other other gigs, other gigs. Uh, well, again, like in terms of Scottish bands, I'm kind of I don't want to say disillusioned with a lot of kind of newer bands that are coming through in Scotland. But I've, I'm finding that a lot of uh, newer bands that are coming through just now are playing stuff that's not entirely in my taste like there's a lot of folk well yeah I mean I enjoy I enjoy folk and stuff I kind of wish that it's I could much. go see a new band and absolutely they wouldn't have a fiddle <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah. I agree with or you and I think it's changing I do think yeah. it's changing I think uh, there are a few bands now coming out um, and you know get sent music to the site and yeah. a lot of the more recent stuff I've been sent is a little bit heavier a little bit grungier and sometimes even just a little bit more um, I was not to say melodic because a lot of the folk is melodic yeah. but it's it's just different to what it has been I agree you had some tremendous bands like you know Admiral Fowler or yeah. Burnt Island or, and all good bands I think but yeah. it, was, it was they're stuffed slightly underneath that and there was so much of it yeah. and it seemed to me that nothing else was being heard I will name a, a couple of bands I have uh, um, one kind of Plus of that is of having like a really healthy music scene in Glasgow is like inevitably you'll have mates and bands, but because there's so many, chances are that you will have at least one or two that you don't just have to pretend to like, yeah. and you will genuinely like a band, which is always yeah. a thrill when that happens when you, you like legitimately go along to a mates gig and you're like, actually, I did genuinely enjoy mm-hmm. that. I'm not just saying it. So uh, my mate Sean is in uh, he's, he sings for a band John Knox Sex Club who. Right. Great put name. on a tremendous great name yeah <laughs> uh, but they put on a tremendous live show as well I saw them play in stereo uh, I think late last year with a Wounded Knee supporting who I hadn't seen before but does these amazing things with vocal loops on stage it's just him he sits up with a microphone and a loop pedal on stage and uh, creates these kind of drawing ambient pieces just with his voice uh, so it kind of touch Ivor Cutler about him a little okay. bit but Ivor Cutler with obviously um, some minimalist experimental tendencies uh and yeah so he supported and really enjoyed him but uh, John Knox Set Club just have they open their sets I, I don't know if they're still doing this but for a good while anyway they were opening their sets with a cover of uh, John the Revelator okay and uh, doing it in full on like Nick Cave's yes, yes. style so Sean was only running about grabbing people in the crowd and preacher John, preacher man yeah, yeah. I like it and um I love it. I mean, that that kind of maybe gives the wrong impression of them for the rest of the set because they don't tend to go down that kind of bad seeds route for the rest of it. The rest of it is, I, I don't want to demean them by saying standard Scottish indie, but it's much more in the kind of tradition of yeah. that kind of melodic. You know, again, not not leaning over into folk, but very much that kind of maybe teenage fan club. T- well, more like I would say more like Idlewild or okay. something. You know, that kind of thing. Again, not quite as as gentle or power pop as as teenage fan club. Right. It's definitely still like rock music, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah, I would say more along. Like, there's definitely a sense of melody behind it, like you would get from like an Idle Wild or maybe you know like early, early Biffy Clyro. Okay. Sean, Sean, Sean would hate me for saying that. <laughs> um, no, so early, you haven't, so early you haven't heard it yet. Yeah. So early they they hadn't even recorded anything. Yeah, yet. but um, no, so I enjoyed that. Uh, well, after you saying um, they have a band with no fiddles, please. Yeah. Actually, one of the best gigs of Scottish bands I saw was at Orinmore, and well, I've seen them twice, yeah. both blinding, but the second time they absolutely owned the stage. It was the 17th century, and they yeah. were supported by the Scottish Enlightenment that night. Again, yes. fantastic names. 
Um, but a lot to live up to. Yeah. It's big when you're calling yeah, yourself exactly. these things. You've got a lot to live up yeah. to. Um, the 17th century are fronted uh, by singer and uh, astonishing uh, fiddle player um, Mark. And oh God, I think it's Mark. I hope it is now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, they, they, as a live band, I would suggest you go and see them. They're, they're tremendous. And, and I know I, like you, have come to fear the fiddle a little bit, but not, not when, this, when he plays it. And the rest yeah. of the band are superb as well. And they've just built this incredible crescendo. I mean, it's like... It's like... Um, kind of semi-acoustic mogwai or explosions in the sky you know yeah. you just you really build and the crowd go with it um, and they were supported by the Scottish Enlightenment who again are one of my favourite Scottish bands who are about at the moment but who are slightly gentler in their outlook but none yeah. the worse for it I would say and also a gig I didn't go and see much live stuff actually in the last year but Richard Herring's live Christ on the Bike comedy gig yeah. I'm going to put that in there because it was superb and because it happened in Scotland <laughs> Yes, I haven't just gotten it. was part of the... Uh, well, no, I'm not even late. Yeah. I'm not saying you can have... Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, <laughs> I oh, I thought we were just limiting ourselves to Scottish Oh, I suppose fans, we so. should. But I'm going to say, I saw him at Edinburgh and I saw him in Glasgow. And, uh, yeah, and he was heckled by Scots. Excellent. He was, uh, what do you outside the... Um, shouted them down with placards saying, down with this kind of thing. <laughs> Wonderful. So uh, I'm going to take that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. We probably should have stuck to Scottish Oh, well, stuff. well, if we're throwing that in, then I'll put a show in and say that I, I saw... Janelle Monet at the ABC back yeah. in February and it was stunning it was stunning I came away from it feeling like I'd seen Prince in his prime it was unbelievable oh, really? she put on an incredible show I, I'd been a fan like I got the album it came out almost exactly a year ago I think I think I'm fairly certain it was end of June start of July last year that it came out and uh, really loved it and thought she was incredibly talented was supremely jealous because she's only about six months older than I am and I was like <laughs> oh you've accomplished so much yeah yeah. But uh, no, seeing her live, she puts on. It's a proper show, you know. It's uh, she has like, a screen up, a video screen up behind her showing clips from like Metropolis and the end of Return of the Jedi and stuff. Oh, and she runs with the whole kind of sci-fi concept. You know, the concept of the album is that her character is uh, an android. It's called the Arc Android. The album, and she's uh, an, an android on the run. I've only heard good things about yeah. it, but I haven't actually heard it yet. And uh, it, it's great. It's really you know, there's elements of like. Uh, Parliament and you know all the kind of future, kind of future, soul futurism stuff going after futurism, and uh, there's also elements. She's uh, a kind of protege of Big Boy, of yeah. Outcast, so there's elements of Outcast and stuff in it. Uh, even though it's not hip hop, is but you can't really characterize it as R and B. It's very much just like pop music, you know, yeah, like Princess. But I think you know? that's the thing. Pop has become this dirty word. It's yeah, like, don't call it pop. Exactly. Exactly, bands like you know, like Prince or, yeah. or Prefab Sprout or whatever. They're pop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but. Um, no, she put on an incredible show. It was just uh, worked the crowd magnificently, and she can dance like nobody's business. And uh, there was balloons and confetti and streamers and cannons and backup dancers, and uh, it was great. She got for her encore. She got everybody in the ABC to crouch down on the ground, and then she brought them all back up again. It was very, you know, it was great. It was, it was a proper show. You know, it was a proper production. It was just a phenomenal night. Uh, but. Um, well, that takes us on, yeah. I think, quite well to album of the last yes. 12 months. And this will be Scottish. I'm not yes. going to say because oh, right. it's sold in Scotland. Yeah. I'm going to start with um, the recent uh, Aidan Moffat, Bill Wells, Everything's Getting Older. Yes, that's uh, also my shout for best album in the past, best Scottish okay. album. So that's, that's it. We've done that. But we've no, done no. That. Yeah, no. <laughs> it is, uh, for, for, for people who haven't heard it, it's Bill Wells. I've... Uh, 
Oh, well, I think it was 2002 I got my first Bill Wells album when it was the Bill Wells Trio and he's a, he's Scotland's great jazz man as far as I'm concerned in that I actually want to listen to what he does. Yeah, it's always um, a good start. It, does. <laughs> it is if a good get, start. If you can climb that mountain. Then. And uh, I've, so he, he has been a Scottish indie's go-to guy for uh, often piano and, and sax and just jazz, man. A bit of yeah. vibe. And this time he's done a whole album with uh, Aidan Moffat which... For me, is amongst the best thing that Aidan Moffat has done, but I know you're a huge Moffat fan. Yes, so. um, very much. Uh, I mean, Arabstrap, Philophobia by Arabstrap is not just one of my favourite Scottish albums, it's one of my favourite albums. I mean, I don't make any claims for it being like one of the best ever made, but just it has a really strong personal connection for me and everything. I, I love it so much. And uh, I like Malcolm Middleton's solo stuff, but I feel like when Aidan Moffat finally started doing proper solo stuff once he left like LPR behind that yeah, yeah, yeah. and finally started doing his own stuff yeah, again yeah, you know, his recognisable yeah. voice that it really showed me no wait this is how a member of Arab Strap does a solo career you know because I feel like Malcolm Middleton's been caught in a kind of spiral of self-pity since he left Arab Strap and oh, that's to, interesting. to an extent is threatened I mean there's still humour in his lyrics yes. but it's all this kind of oh I'm so miserable what I have to say I prefer his like, first solo yeah. one to the, to the subsequent yeah, one which absolutely. have done better but yeah um, but I think Moffat has very much maintained his voice, you know, and that kind of wry look at that. He's, he still remains just one of the best lyricists that I think Scotland's ever produced. And um, what I love about everything's getting older, I mean, obviously, no disrespect to Bill Wells because it's as much his album as it is Aiden Moffat's, but I feel that uh, there's some, it's very much Aiden Moffat's album in the sense that it refers back quite specifically to some Arab strap songs yes. there are elements of it like quite makes quite direct references like um, is it uh, like Let's Stop Here the, this, the first song in the album the first song in the album is uh, instrumental and then Let's yes. Stop Here is the second and the piano line in that uh, I don't know if it's, if it's intentional or not but it really strongly reminds me of Islands from Philophobia okay and the song immediately after that the one is it Cages uh, where he sings about how he used to go out and get drunk on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays yeah. and then come and it's, it's the first big weekend. It's the first big yeah. weekend, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then later, and then the copper top, top yeah. the night before the funeral. Yeah, exactly. Right down to the trumpet solo. Well, he's, I've read recently he was saying that uh, he can't remember whose funeral it was but he yeah. remembers every single detail yeah. about it and you think, well, yeah, I can kind of understand yeah. that. Um, but no, it's a tremendous piece of work. I do think it is the best thing that any member of Arab Strap has done since Arab since Strap Arab broke Strap. up. That's, yeah. I would have to agree with you about that. So let's, if that's going to be a, the number one choice, yeah. let's talk about some who almost made it, but not quite. And I'm going to say Edwin Collins losing sleep. I thought it was, uh, it was, was the best thing he's done for a long time. Yeah. For obvious reasons. Yes. Well, yeah. Um, and, and I was really, I thought, you know, it had real guts which I didn't expect you know there was a real yeah. uh, drive to it which uh, was was fantastic well was unusual and and just uh, I suppose I didn't expect it I didn't expect that this man who when you see him interviewed now is still quite fragile yeah his singing voice is not his speaking voice I mean he can sing almost as good as he ever did yes no absolutely I really enjoy that I mean I, I, I think for me it suffers the wrong word because I still really enjoyed the album but I did pick it up I didn't get it immediately I think I got it cheap in the sales at Christmas or something but I got it immediately after getting the orange juice box set yes. which I got for Christmas and it can't help but suffer in comparison yes, to that of course, because of as good as it is it's still not orange juice yeah. um, and uh, I mean it was the kind of thing I mean I'd only ever heard the only Orange Juice album I'd heard start to end before because they'd been out of print for so long is uh, Rip It Up yes. which my dad had a vinyl copy of and he mm -hmm. kept up in the loft uh, 
so I was able to dig that out. So it was kind of a revelation getting me here. Yeah, like, then there, that's yeah, you can't hide your love forever. Absolutely, yeah, start to end, just uh, incredible. Was that released um, in the last year? The the box set, yeah, no, that came out. Yeah, yeah I think well, it was just before Christmas, so that counts. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, yeah, it was fantastic. Where it has literally everything. You know, it's like all the studio albums, all the kind of B sides and paraphernalia. It's literally everything that Orange Juice ever recorded in one handy set. Handy set, and uh, it's tremendous. Yeah, uh, it is to have um, in your collection. I think more recently, uh, I've been listening to the new Sons and Daughters album a lot. I know you're kind of not entirely on board with it. Well, know? yeah, I haven't listened to it enough. I think that's yeah. what it is. That's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I have listened to it twice now, and I should listen to it more. I just thought. I love Sons and Daughters and it just wasn't grabbing me but yeah. so give me your point of view I, I like it a lot well it's, it's obviously I, what I like about them I think Sons and Daughters are in kind of difficult position just now because it kind of feels almost like they're the last band standing in a lot of ways from that kind of generation that came up with them like you know they came out uh, again don't want to say on the coattails of Franz Ferdinand but I think their kind of association with them certainly didn't hurt them okay. in getting a record deal and Franz Ferdinand are to all intents and purposes have gone quiet they have gone yeah, quiet um, yeah. after I kind of quite poorly and rightly poorly received last mm-hmm. album um, and other bands of that kind of generation that came up with them you know all the kind of chemical underground groups that were still around yeah, the sure. time, like Doug Adams Doug have all yeah, broken up uh, Arbstrap have broken up uh, I mean well, yeah they were the new kids and now they're kind of now you have this whole new wave of bands coming around and chemical underground have kind of a new wave of bands coming in as well but the fact that Sons and Daughters aren't actually on chemical underground and they don't have that safety net necessarily yes. they're signed to Domino who well, if if they're not like the hot young thing anymore, if if this, the records don't continue to do well, then it's not like they have a safe home because they're mates with the people at the label or something. You know, it's like they have to kind of keep pressing forward and finding new ways to do their thing. And I feel it's kind of interesting how their sounds evolved from that kind of very Nick Cave, Bill Callahan kind yes. of sound uh, through like like 60s pop I would say in the last I would say there was places. an influence and absolutely maybe some 80s pop again, maybe even touches like Prefab Sprout and stuff like that. Around songs like Split Lips. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, what it is now which is actually produced by I can't remember which half of Optimal but it's either Twitch or Wilkes from Optimal who okay. produced the new album so uh, much more prominent since uh, it almost sounds like it's something that could have come out on DFA uh, LCD Sound Systems label yes um, you know very spare in a lot of places very kind of minimalist I'm actually hearing tr- uh, touches of suicide on it in yeah places, well, you know, I think um, perhaps I just wasn't ready for it and I'm definitely going to listen to it because they, they deserve that yeah. um, or more often um, I just yeah again it's it's your expectations and sometimes when your expectations are confounded so much yeah. you think oh this is a this wasn't the record I was expecting yeah. um, so I'll definitely be going back to that yeah I want to make special mention of a small release on uh, Pinko Records uh, by Luke Joyce his band is I Build Collapsible Mountains and it's a month of lost memories and it's the closest. It's like the first Bon Iver album to me. Okay. It's very lo-fi. It's uh, and I think it's absolutely beautiful collection of songs. And if more people uh, went out and heard that the world would be a better place, I think. Um, so I think really looking at the clock in the wall, let me sum and sum this up and finish it. All right, uh, and go out to Marge's for a birthday drink. I believe. Yes, I think so. Uh, Thanks for listening, if anyone actually does listen. This is the first Scotsway podcast. Uh, I'm Alistair. And the idea is that we will do one of these at a fairly regular basis. The next one, I think, is going to be... I think we're going to try and come up with the top five Scottish films of all time, so no pressure yes, there. Yes, none at all. Followed by the same to do with books, followed by the same to do with albums. Um, but that's for another day.
So uh, thanks very much. Yeah, cheers.